Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. So Acts chapter 1, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me as we read from the very first verse of Acts chapter 1 this morning. Acts chapter 1, verse number 1, it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after uh, he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For truly John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Father, this morning, you have truly blessed my heart as well as the others here with our time together and the singing of your songs with the children as they sang, with that song that, that Johnny sang that reminded us of your filling of the Holy Spirit and your comforter that you had sent to us and how you know our pains and you're there with us through those. We thank you so much for never leaving us or forsaking us even in those times in our life when life falls apart. Now this morning, Father, as we approach your throne of grace through your word, I ask this of you that you make very little of me very much of you that you may be seen in all of your glory in this place today. This we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you know, we've been looking at the unfinished work of, of Jesus, the unfinished work of Jesus. And uh, we've discovered that he finished the work of redemption, the work of redemption on the cross. And that is why he said from the cross that, that it is finished. And we started to look then at the book of Acts in the very first verse. And we read there that it said that he began to do and to teach uh, the disciples. This gave us indication that, that Jesus had begun a work that he was leaving to be finished. Even though the, the redemption of our souls was finished on the cross, there was still a work left. There was still a work left to be done. And, and how was he going to finish this work? He's going to finish the work, as we find out, through the church. Through, through the church is how he intends to do that. To finish this work, the disciples needed to pick up right where Jesus had left off right where he'd left off. And, and in order to equip them to accomplish uh, what God intended, Jesus starts by giving them what they needed to continue to work. You know, we looked a few weeks ago at the first thing, which was he demonstrated the message to them. That's where it says in verse 1 that he, he did and he taught. He didn't just tell them what to do. He demonstrated it. Then he moved to this uh, divine manifestation there, the divine manifestation. I believe it's in the third verse that it says, to whom he presented himself alive. You remember the message had power in it, but he had been dead. So therefore, part of the power had disappeared as far as their mind was, was concerned because he had disappeared. 
but it said that he presented himself alive to them in, in order that they may know that this message, that this message was true. That's why he presented himself alive to them after the resurrection. They may realize this message is, is true. They gained confidence in the message because they saw Jesus Christ alive, but they also gained confidence in the message because when he had returned to them and appeared to them alive, it says he went on teaching and speaking the things of the kingdom of God. Well, lo and behold, the same message he preached before he was hung upon a cross and buried in a tomb is the message he preached when he came back. So to them, that was signifying that this message was true, that even after his death, burial, and resurrection, the message had not changed. Let me tell you, church, 2,000 years later, the message still hasn't changed. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. It's through his death, burial, and resurrection that you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The message has not changed. So third, then, we saw that there was this delivered might. Jesus knew. Jesus knew there was no way that they could go to the uttermost ends of the world and spread the gospel in their own strength. As a matter of fact, Jesus of all people, Jesus of all people knew that it required the power of God. How? Because, in fact, it was this power, this power of God, the Holy Spirit, that had raised him from the dead. The beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit indwelling us is the same power that indwells us that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. What an awesome thought to know that he has filled us with that. So this promise, this promise is to us and to them that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's that Holy Spirit within us that empowers us to finish this unfinished work of, of Jesus. So that's the first three things we looked at. Today, let's look at the fourth part of the unfinished work of Jesus. The fourth thing, the fourth thing that he gave him was this declared mystery. Declared mystery. I hope you don't think you're going to leave today with the answer to the mystery. It's a mystery for a reason. <laughs> it's all in God's timing. But today we're going to take a look at this mystery, and I hope it opens your, your heart and your mind to it. We see it there in verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, you at this time, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you restore the kingdom? After all that had happened in the last few days, after all that had happened in the last few days, the disciples had some questions. And you can understand. Think about what's gone on with them in the last few days. They'd seen their leader taken into custody in a garden. They'd seen him captured. They had seen him tried. They'd seen him beaten. They'd seen him hung upon a cross. They had seen him die on the cross, and they had seen his body put in a tomb and a stone rolled in front of the tomb. They'd return three days later to find the stone moved and the body gone. Can you imagine their thought process? Here's the leader, the leader we have been with. We've seen him die on the cross. We saw him placed in the tomb. Now he's missing. This is, this is where they've been at. Then Jesus appears to him. Remember the divine manifestation? As if it wasn't enough of a shock that he died on the cross and disappeared. How do you think they felt when he just showed up? Walked through the door of the wall of the locked room. So Jesus had, had appeared to him. Now, now he has reminded them of this promise, this promise that there's this helper coming and told them, I am again going to leave you. Can you imagine their state of mind? You see, and during all this, He's continued to tell them about this kingdom of God and that he is the king. So you can understand what they're thinking. It's obvious what they're thinking. If there is a kingdom, if in fact there's a kingdom and you're the king, why don't we get this thing started? You're here. Let's go. Maybe that's why he told them to wait and the Holy Spirit would come. Have a little patience. See, they'd been hoping for this day. For generations, the Jewish people had been looking for the day that the Messiah would come and that this Roman rule and this, this rule on earth would be taken over by the Almighty God. 
And they've been looking, just longing for this day. And now these disciples were looking at this risen Savior, this Messiah, who said he was the king and there was a kingdom. And they said, yes, today's the day. Today's the day. Why would you think that they would think that today was the day? You have to understand where the promise came from. You may have time to flip. I'm going to go quick today because we got more than we have time. But Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36 says this, starting in the 27th verse. I will, pour, pull, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. You notice that statement is strong with the Jewish community that... I will be your people, you will be my people, I will be your God. He goes on to say, I will deliver you from the uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. I will multiply the fruit of the trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine across the nations. Do you see this picture that he's painting? He goes on to say, then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in, in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. See the turning from sin as they were filled, the Holy Spirit working. You can see pictures of what it says the Holy Spirit does in our life right now, painted right here. It goes on to say, not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. See, all this is following after the Holy Spirit. He goes on then to say, Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. Remember, back in Ezekiel's time, they're looking at a city that has been devastated. Been devastated. So they're starting to see this picture of a rebuilt kingdom. He goes on to 34 to say, The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. Here's the beautiful part. Verse 35, it says, So they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. So when they're looking at Jesus, when they're looking at Jesus, who says there's a kingdom, I am the king. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Their mind went here. Because it says, after the Holy Spirit, guess what's going to happen? Jerusalem, Israel, it's going to be rebuilt. The cities are going to be wonderful. It is just going to be a beautiful place. They knew God had said that following the placing of the Holy Spirit within them would come this rebuilding of the ruins of Israel's cities and, and lands. They understood that the nations around them, those nations that surrounded them, would know that it was God, their God, the Almighty God, who had done that. And they knew it was going to be as God had rigid intended. Did you catch verse 35? Did you catch verse 35? Verse 35 said, so they will say this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. You ever wondered what heaven is going to look like? Wow. See, when they saw Jesus standing there saying, there's a kingdom and I'm the king, this was their mindset. Not only this, they thought about Joel. 
Just over a, a, a couple of books, they thought about Joel in the 22nd verse when it says this, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. What does this follow? God, God said he was going to pour out a spirit on his people. If you read the verses in the first part of that second chapter of Joel, it tells you during this time that God would remove the armies that had invaded them. He would restore the health of the land, just like we had heard in Ezekiel. And he would cause the rain to fall again. He would even, the beautiful, one of those beautiful verses, he says, I will even restore the years that the locusts have consumed. He said he would restore Israel. See, when they heard Jesus say there was a kingdom, this is what they thought. You see, you have to get their mindset to understand where they were. They made the connection in the prophecies of God for the Holy Spirit coming and the kingdom being restored. See, they saw this picture. This is why they're so excited. This is why they were so excited about what Jesus had been demonstrating to them. Suddenly, the pieces of the puzzle started coming together. They were seeing the picture. They envisioned what Jesus, what Jesus had been saying to them and what he said would come true. Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, I believe it is. Matthew chapter 4. Yes, Matthew chapter 4, 17, it says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, when he was telling them about the kingdom, he was saying, It is at hand. He said, Repent, this kingdom of God is present. That's what it means to be at hand. And they believed they were standing in the time that the kingdom would come. But notice what Jesus said to him there in Acts, in Acts 1 chapter uh, 1 verse 7. After they had asked about the restoring of the kingdom, he said to him in verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Could you imagine the deflation? They're excited. They've, they've seen this Jesus risen from the dead. They've been promised that power is going to fill them. They've heard the same message they've always heard. And Jesus said, the times are none of your business. The times are none of your business. He tells them that the kingdom is a mystery. It's a mystery to the kingdom. He says there are some things that only God the Father knows the timing of. He says there are some things that's best if we don't know the timing of. This happens to be one of those things. But at the same time, the Bible tells us that Jesus had been doing and teaching them about the kingdom, about the kingdom of God. So there's a certain mystery about the kingdom, but it would seem there's a certain revelation of the kingdom at the same time now, doesn't it? Because had he had been teaching them about the kingdom, there has to be some aspect of the kingdom that's been revealed. <laughs> See, to properly understand what it is that God had planned for them, as well as what God has planned for us to do to complete the work of Jesus Christ, we must know what this kingdom's all about. What is this kingdom all about? When you talk of the kingdom of God, most people think of the eternal kingdom. If you were to draw it on a timeline, and I were to say circle where you think this kingdom of God is, this kingdom of God that's being taught, this kingdom of heaven that is being taught, you would immediately go to the book of Revelation and you'd circle somewhere near the end of the timeline. 
that time in Revelation when sin's going to be removed from the earth, when Jesus will appear a second time and set up his kingdom here, when, when Satan will be cast into the lake of fire, when, when Jesus will reign for a thousand years as king, that time when we as his followers will reign over the kingdom. That's the time everybody thinks about when you think about this kingdom of God. But the Bible has a lot more to say about the kingdom, and it would do us good to reflect on that, I believe. To get an understanding of what Jesus had been teaching them and how it relates to us and how we have, or how he would have us this day to complete his work. There's really two aspects of the kingdom of God that Jesus would have taught about. There's two aspects showed or shown in the Bible about the kingdom of God. There's this universal kingdom, and then there is this mediatorial kingdom. I know that's a big word, but I'll get you there in a few minutes. I couldn't find a smaller one to do away with the mediatorial, so we'll just explain it to you in just a few minutes. But, but there's this universal kingdom, and there's this mediatorial kingdom. The universal kingdom speaks of God's ultimate rule and reign of all things. He is sovereign. God is sovereign over all things. There is nothing that happens. There's nothing that was created. There are no surprises with God. There is nobody in charge of anything except for God. There is a universal reign. That's why he is a sovereign God. How do I know that? Going to fly down some verses you'll want to write these down you don't have time to look them up first we know that god is eternal psalm 92 says before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world even from everlasting to everlasting you are god that's his eternality saw in psalms 90 verse 2 god is omnipotent psalm 103 19 says the lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules forever forever his kingdom rules when does forever start eternity past when does forever end eternity future so he's, he's omnipotent. He reigns all times. God is omniscient. Proverbs 5.21 says this, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his past. God is omniscient. He knows all things, and he ponders the past of our feet. God is also omnipresent. Psalm 139.7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? You ever had the idea that you would flee from God? Let me break your heart. There is nowhere you can hide. He is everywhere. Also, God is sovereign. He's sovereign over creation. Matthew 10, 29 and 30 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Then it says, But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Very hairs of your head are on a cliff. That means when you cut off one, he doesn't just say, There went another hair. He says, No, there went 1,297,000. They're all numbered. He's, He's sovereign over all creation. He's sovereign over, over men. Genesis 55, 20, you know the story. You know the story back in Genesis about Joseph at all. In 50, in Genesis 50, 20, it says this. But as for you, you meant it for evil against me. Who's the you? He's talking to his brothers, remember? He says, as for you, you meant it for evil against me. But he says, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about this day to save many people alive. What his brothers thought they were doing under their own initiative, that verse says... David recognizes God used them as a tool in his hand so that many may be saved alive. God is sovereign over all men. God is sovereign over the security of our salvation. How do we know that? John 6, 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and of the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Aren't you glad to know that when God calls you, you're called forever? <laughs> when God saves you, you're saved forever. When Jesus holds you in the palm of his hand, you are in the palm of his hand forever. That's because of the sovereignty of God. You know, it also says that God is sovereign over the events of our life. Sometimes it's hard for us to grasp. 
but God is sovereign over the events of our life. One of our favorite verses, most misunderstood verse probably, Romans 8, 28. <laughs> you know it, and we know all things work for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. How many things are all things? All things. In the Greek, it says all things. <laughs> all things. See, God rules and reigns over all things in all times. If there is one thing in this universe that God is not in control over, He is not God. And someone else is. Because they have the ability to be in control of something He hasn't got the ability. Let me ask you this. What does God not have the ability to control? The answer is nothing. He's in control of all things. He's an awesome, mighty God. So there's this universal kingdom. There's this universal kingdom where God, the Almighty Father, sits as ruler, as king. But there's also this mediatorial kingdom. Well, what is a mediatorial kingdom? This is the kingdom that God has put in, on place, in place on earth. And it's called a mediatorial kingdom because God has chosen to put a mediator in place to rule and to reign over this kingdom under his direction as universal king. In fact, there have been several eras of mediators, several periods of mediators over this kingdom, and they all point to the ultimate mediator who is Jesus Christ. Let me take you through. This is going to be a history lesson really quick. I don't expect you to find all this in your Bible because we're going to cover every book in the Bible from cover to cover, even the dictionary and part of this morning's. But let me tell you how the kingdom gets set up. We can read about the kingdom of God being set up in Genesis 1.1. When it says, in the, beginning was, uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> See, in the beginning God created all things. The kingdom was created by God and for God. How do we know it was to be a kingdom? We can answer that by looking at who the first ruler was in that same book of Genesis, uh, chapter 1. In verse 27, it says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then he says this, Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Who was the first king? Adam. Adam. God made man and placed him as head over all that God had created. He was to rule and reign over the kingdom in the image of God, how he was made. But we all know how that turned out. <laughs> we all know how that turned out. Man decided he had a better plan. He decided he wanted everything, even to do those things that the universal king God had said not to do, which was eat of the fruit, uh, the tree in the center of the garden. And he decided... <laughs> that he wanted his own desires above that of the universal king. And by making his desires a priority over God's desires, sin entered the world. Sin entered the world into the Garden of Eden. What happened to the king? He was expelled. The king was expelled. He was kicked out. This ended the dispensation of Adam's rule as king. He was the first mediator. After the fall of King Adam, so to call him, came the dispensation of conscience, the dispensation of conscience. Man was left to rule God's mediatorial kingdom through the use of his conscience. 
use of his conscience. Some of you bristle when you think about the use of your conscience in controlling things. There's a good reason for it. We'll see it right here. It became evident the man's conscience did very little to bring about the advancement of the kingdom of God. Very little. Not many pages over in Genesis, just a little ways over to Genesis in chapter 6, we see what this, this conscience gets man when we see the story of, of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Over, uh, over towards chapter 5 of chapter 6, it starts talking about this Cain and Abel. We see that <laughs> this brutal murder of Abel by Cain, we, we see this brutality with the blood relatives. We, we see the, the desire to be first, supersede the love of a brother. We see the brutality and the murder. This was conscience-driven. His conscience didn't say, we shouldn't do this. His conscience didn't step in and say, I think this is a bad idea. No, his conscience allowed him to go. What does the Bible say over in Genesis 6, 11, when man was left to rule over God's mediatorial kingdom by his conscience? The Bible says this in the 6th chapter of the 11th verse. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with with violence. This dispensation of the, the rule over the kingdom by the conscience of man ended with a world filled with violence. If you've read Genesis, you see that over and over up to there. Without a godly mediator over the earthly kingdom of God, the earth became filled with this violence. And this is when God stepped in. This is when God stepped in and brought a new mediator. Matter of fact, if you look through that section of the history, you only see God appearing twice, I believe it is, in Enoch. And then whenever he, he uh, expelled uh, one, it's the only time that you see him appearing there until he steps in. He steps in. This, this era of the dispensation of the conscience ends with the flood. Remember what he said? The world has gotten so bad, so bad, he was going to flood it and wipe out all but, but one family. All but one family to carry on the, the kingdom. And this ushered in a new mediator. This ushered in a new mediator. It is here at this point, if you remember, after the flood, that the, the dispensation of government, the dispensation of government is brought into view. For the first time, you see the, the government involved in what's going on. See, after this murderous nature of man brought an end of an era, God placed government as this ruling authority over all of this mediatorial kingdom. Over all the mediatorial kingdom. Genesis 10, matter of fact, if you can't sleep at night, go read Genesis 10. Do you know what Genesis 10 is? It's the genealogy of Noah after the flood. That's some good reading now, isn't it? The genealogy of Noah after the flood, but it has a purpose. It has a purpose. Because in verse 32 of that chapter, it says, These were the families of the sons of Noah according to the generations in their nations. And from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. That's where God put into place nations and governments over nations to rule the mediatorial kingdom. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? We live in that world today. You see, here God set the nations in place to rule. And that continues even today. How do we know that? Romans 13.1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So even today, whether you like our elected officials or not, if you take the Bible at face value, 13.1 says there is nobody in authority that God hasn't appointed. Period. There is no comma. There is no exclamation point. There is no footnote to the side. We still live, in one way, under the dispensation of governmental mediatorial rule over the kingdom. <laughs> 
Yet we know this did not work out to advance the kingdom any whatsoever. Because we do live in that world today, but we also see in the Bible that it didn't work out. Not long after the government authority was put into place, what happened? The nations, the nations decided they would get together and they would build this tower. Whenever you flip over to Genesis 11, not just a few pages over, Genesis 11 says this in the fourth verse, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. When you look at this governmental rule, what happened? They decided as soon as there being many nations, we'd be stronger as one. And as one, we could become God. But that wasn't what God had in plan. Had planned, was it? Because he said that he had made the generations of Noah so that the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. National government has always been the case, not one world government. That's why the UN's in what shape it's in, but that's a story for another time. And then you know the rest of that story. You know the rest of the story about the Tower of Babel. God came down, he confused the languages, and they ultimately were scattered. Remember? Now God had mediatorial rule over the many nations through the leaders of those nation's government, those nation's government. So you're starting to see the picture. And even though this continues to get today, God moved to a different era, a different time of mediatorial rule over his earthly kingdom. <laughs> now came the dispensation of the patriarchs. Dispensation of the patriarchs. This period starts with the promises God made to Abraham. You can find those promises in the 12th chapter of Genesis. Verse number 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is where that patriarchal dispensation of the rule comes into place. God promises that through Abraham come the blessings of the entire world. And we know what that ultimate blessing was. He didn't when the promise was made, but now on the backside of the cross, we know what it is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. You see, during this period, we see mediation carried out through the great patriarchs. And who are they? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the way to Moses. You see these patriarchs. God used the great patriarchs to deliver his message to the nations. When God wanted to speak to the nations, he did it through those patriarchs. They led the nations. They, they did all of those things on behalf of God. They mediated God's message. And he continued to do this all the way through Joseph, who delivered the message of God to his family that the nation of Israel may be continued. Remember, it was through Joseph that the nation of Israel was, was saved. Was saved. With Moses then came the dispensation of prophets, judges, and kings. Prophets, judges, and kings. And this period continued until Jesus set foot on, foot on earth as man. Until he set foot on earth as man. How did he use him? Moses was used by God to bring his people out of captivity in, in Egypt. If you remember, he spoke on behalf of God to Pharaoh. He used Moses to lead him over to the promised land where they refused to go. God then used the other great prophets to proclaim his message to the people. Like, for instance, Isaiah. Isaiah. If you read Isaiah, you see the announcement of this coming Messiah as well as judgment on the nations for not following God. If you look at Jeremiah, who's known as the weeping prophet, if you remember, he's known as the weeping prophet. He was used by God to call Judah, the land of Judah, to repentance and to 
avoid the judgment of God. Ezekiel, if you ever read Ezekiel, Ezekiel was used by God in a time of exile in Babylon to dramatize the message of God to people. Daniel, oh, Daniel's a beautiful book. It's a married book to, to Revelation. Those two, those two go together. And Daniel was used by God to reveal himself to the people and to reveal those end times. And the list goes on and on and on of these patriarchs and this patriarchal dispensation of the mediated for God on this earth. God also used judges. God also used judges to mediate, if you remember. The judge's job was the preservation of his people against enemies. When the judges came into view, what they were doing there at the time of their, uh, during the people's time of disobedience to God, he was using the judges to lead. So the lead Israel to defeat, to defeat those oppressors, those who attacked. He also used the kings over Israel to lead them. You remember the greatest of those? King David. You remember King Saul. You remember all those kings. There were godly kings. And there were very ungodly kings. But there's one thing we know about both. God used them both to advance the kingdom. In every case. In every case. And ultimately, they all pointed to the king of kings, which is Jesus. I tell you about all those periods because of where they point. And this is the dispensation that the disciples found themselves standing in. After, after all these others, after the kings, the judges, and the prophets, and now there's this Jesus. And Jesus said in Acts 1 that there was this mystery. There was a certain mystery to this entire dispensation. The first mystery involved the church age. The second mystery involved the coming kingdom. The coming kingdom. What we have that the disciples did not have at that time is the teaching about the church. Understand the church had been hinted to in the Bible, but had never been talked about in the Bible. Here the disciples stand not knowing that Christ was building a church. It had been nationalism up to the end. And now they're being told there's this certain mystery. Part of the mystery for them has been revealed to us because we have the book of Acts and can read about this church period. So when the disciples heard Jesus say there was a kingdom coming, they believed the final kingdom would start with the promise of the Holy Spirit. But looking back from the point we're at today, we realize there was a period between Jesus coming as king, the people rejecting him, killing him, and him returning again in the book of Revelation. We realize from the time that Jesus was murdered, placed in a tomb, rose again, appeared to the disciples and returned to heaven, there is a time period before he returns again in the book of Revelation. They were looking for this return as he stood in front of them. And this time period, this time period between his return to the Father at the end of the 11th verse there in Acts, to the time period of his second coming in Revelation, this is known as the dispensation of the church age. It puts each one of you right in the middle of that dispensation. God has chosen a mediator for this period, and that mediator for this period is His church. It is His church. Now, isn't that exciting? It is for me. See, Jesus coming the first time brought together all the other meditorial, meditorial eras. Think about it. He was man. Just as Adam, the first king, was man. He changed the conscience because man's conscience was not a good guide. He took upon himself the government. How do we know that? Isaiah said upon the shoulders of this baby, the one who would come would be the government. He says that right in the book of Isaiah. He lived out the instructions that the patriarchs had given to the people, and he fulfilled the prophecies that were spoken by the prophets from those eras. He will one day be the judge of all the world. And we also know that he will be professed to be the King of kings and lords of lords. 
You see, everything that has happened through all of those periods of time culminated in this man named Jesus Christ. All of those periods. We live in the period right now that he has set his church over which he is the head as the mediatorial king of his kingdom, of his king. See, that's why it's imperative that that those disciples knew the message, knew the messenger was alive and was empowered to spread that message. The same reason we need those things in our life. We need those things as well for we are chosen vessel. We're the chosen vessel to mediate this message of the, the current kingdom of God on this earth. See, there's coming a day. There's coming a day when Jesus will return to this earth for his millennial kingdom reign. But until that day, He's left us to be the mediators for the current kingdom on earth. And how do we mediate the kingdom? (laughs) Through the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. We don't have time. We're almost out of time this morning. You'll have to go home and read it. But I I ask you, go home and read Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. If you want to know about the kingdom of God from the lips of your Lord and your Savior, Matthew chapter 13, we'll do that for you. I'm just going to hit the high spots. Matthew 13 is one of the greatest series of parables about the kingdom. The kingdom. It starts with the parable of the souls. Matthew 13, 11 uh, says this. He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. He's speaking of this parable of the souls that he's just told. Jesus has given this parable, and it's about the mysteries of the kingdom. He goes on in verse 19. In verse 19, he goes on to say, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. So you remember this this parable of the, the seed. He's implying there if one hears it and doesn't accept it, he's lost. So therefore, if one does hear it and accept it, what is he? He's part of the kingdom. He's part of the kingdom. That's his implication in saying that. He says that those who receive the seed receive the kingdom. He then tells the parable of the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the tares, and the parable of the mustard seed. One of those parables speaks of seed growing to maturity among false wheat. The other speaks of seed growing to maturity that others can come and find refuge in. He moves from that parable into the parable of the leaven. If you remember the parable of leaven, it says in in verse 33, I believe it is, that he took a little bit of leaven and put it in three measures and the whole lump was leaven. So he speaks of this parable of leaven. Keep in mind, he's still talking about the kingdom of God. He goes on to tell them then the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. Hidden treasure treasure and a pearl of great price. And this speaks to the joy, the joy in finding the kingdom and then the willingness to give everything that you've got to have that kingdom. That's the pearl of great price. There's one thing that all of these parables have in common. And that is the kingdom of God is not only a future, future eternal kingdom, but it's a kingdom that starts on this earth the day anyone received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. See, the kingdom of God is made up of you and me on this earth. It's not something we're sitting and waiting for. Every time someone hears the seed, the Word of God, and accepts that message in their heart, which gives them faith to believe in what Jesus Christ did on a cross for their sins, and that He was buried and rose again the third day, and they believe that in their heart, and they confess that with their mouth, and they are saved, guess what? There's another piece of the kingdom on this earth. And see, He has put us as mediators over that kingdom. Mediators over that kingdom. See, there's most assuredly a mystery 
to this kingdom of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt. How do we know that? Because they asked in, in Acts 6, Lord, will you at this time, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? We know because they were looking for the Christ's eternal kingdom, but we also know by his answer that there's a certain mystery when he says it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put into his own authority. He says it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the mystery. The only part of the mystery you need to know is that you're the mediator over the kingdom of God now. <laughs> See, Jesus said, don't worry about what's coming. This is a mystery all but God the Father don't understand. <laughs> what they are to be about and what we are to be about is spreading the news of the kingdom of God on earth. We're not to sit and look down the road for the eternal kingdom to come when Jesus returns the second time. We are to be busy about bringing the kingdom to earth through the sharing of the gospel message to individuals who are lost and head into an eternal kingdom that is called hell, where there's gnashing of teeth, where there's misery forever, where there's separation from everything. We're to be sharing the gospel with them and telling them there is an eternal kingdom coming, but you can be a part now. You can have the infilling of the Holy Spirit now. You can have Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior now. It's not something you have to wait till the end of your life to find out if it took hold. No, you have it now. And we are to be about sharing that good news. Let God handle the timing of the eternal kingdom. That's in His hands. If I can trust Him with my soul, I can trust Him with the timing for the eternal kingdom. What we're to mediate is the period God has given us as the church. We're to be busy about doing that which God has called us to do. How can we do this? We can follow Jesus' example. Demonstrate the message. Demonstrate the message. Not tell them there's a message. Not only tell them, but live it. Live it in such a way they want to know that message. We can tell them of the divine manifestation, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we don't serve a dead statue in a window or a wall. We serve a living, risen Savior. We can be completely, completely yielded to this delivered might of the Holy Spirit in our life. Remember, each of us, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came to live within us. And as I said last week, it's not about how much of the Holy Spirit you have. It's about how much the Holy Spirit has of you there's only one feeling. We all got the same dosage. We've all got the same amount. It's just, are you going to yield your life to His direction? And you got to know. You got to know. If you're going to declare the mystery of the kingdom, you're going to need to be completely yielded to that Holy Spirit. Church, I ask you this morning do you love Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Then why aren't we about? Sharing the mystery. Why aren't we out sharing the mystery? Why aren't we out telling others about it? I think we would do well to examine our hearts this morning and understand that we've been put as the mediator, <laughs> the ruler over the current kingdom. The kingdom will only be as good as those who rule over it. I would love to be found when Jesus comes back doing his work. I would love to hear his voice say, Welcome in, my good and my faithful servant. For all that he's done for me, that's the very least that I could do for him. Will you today yield to the Holy Spirit and declare the mystery to those around you? Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. 
I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.